Hey guys, welcome to episode 46 of the True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. And I'm sure you can notice that my voice is a little bit super raspy. Um, We're going to have to do something a little different this time around because unfortunately we've had a rough couple of weeks. My dad has been really sick and last Sunday he unfortunately passed away. And that did not give us any time to prepare an episode for you that we think would be good enough. Deserving. Yeah. (laughs) So what we did is we're pulling an episode that we used from our August Patreon supporters. And this is an episode about the Pamela Smart case. And this is kind of a really um, raw audio. I think that you'll enjoy it. It's very conversational. Um, What we did is we discussed the Pamela Smart case through the investigation discovery series that they put out on Pamela Smart last summer. And it's really good. I mean, obviously, we do our research outside of the episodes. But what I think makes it a little bit better is that we get to see these people and look at the way we they're responding and it's it's actually really good it's very similar to what we did for the brobergs and all of the patreons really seem to love it and again we we've recorded a separate message for our patreon supporters who we love so much and have been so amazing but we're gonna have a patreon episode out next week for our patreon supporters and for anyone who donates you can go listen to our message And we're just going to explain the way we're doing scheduling from now on. And we're going to bring two extra episodes a month to you guys. Sorry, I'm just rambling. I'm going on and on. I'm (laughs) Uh, sorry, John. Just just know that um, we have a roadmap. Uh, We have a lot of really amazing episodes coming to you guys. Um, And I guess I just want to say just be patient for them. You know, we're we're putting all our efforts into getting those for you. And, um, you know, Kay and I really try to make sure that we put out the best content for you guys. So, you know, just... uh, just uh, be patient, and you'll. I, th- I don't think you'll be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I'm. So, I'm just. I'm really sorry that I couldn't get an episode out. I just didn't have it in me this week. But I promise that we'll. It's life know. sometimes, you I'm know. Sorry. <laughs> Some things. Uh, sometimes things go on the back burner uh, when th- you know you have family issues. But anyway, like uh, like we said earlier, we are gonna be doing our best to provide our content to you, and uh, yeah, just uh, get ready. It's gonna be a good one. Yeah, and this episode we really enjoy because it really displays our conversational back and forth that sometimes people say we're lacking. So we're interested to bring this to you and see what you guys think about it. So here is our case on Pamela Smart, who still maintains her innocence in the planning of the murder of her husband via her students. It's a good one. It's a good one. On May 1st, 1990... Greg Smart entered the condo that he shared with his wife. He was confronted by two intruders. After a short scuffle, he was forced to his knees. The last words that he ever heard were, God forgive me, before he was shot in the head. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another. Are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Hey guys, welcome to our newest Patreon episode on Pam Smart. Of course, I'm Kay. And I'm John. We want to bring you kind of like an off-the-cuff series episode where we're just going to kind of discuss the three episodes that were a part of the investigation discovery Pamela Smart case that actually just aired on TV. 
yeah, we wanted to bring you something a little raw. Um, we're also doing it in a different setting within our apartment, so we just want to see how it goes, and uh, we want you to tell us what you think. Yeah, definitely to give us feedback. Initially, we were going to do an episode for every episode of the three-parter, but once we recorded the first part, we decided to kind of scrap it and just do one through three in one episode because we felt like there wasn't enough meat in it to release it, and we didn't want to disappoint anybody. Yeah, it wasn't enough skin in the game, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So, we're going to start where the series starts, which is, of course, episode one, A Death in Derry. It kind of discusses the background of Pamela and Greg and who they are as people, which is always really important because, like the series does say several times, Greg kind of gets lost in the scandal of it all. And he really is the true victim. Absolutely. So, if anyone's not familiar with the Pamela Smart case, it is one of the most scandalous cases in American history. And it was the first court case that was shown on national television. So it it kind of played out as an American drama. And it's one of the first Lifetime movies I remember seeing. Yeah, actually, me too. I know (laughs) uh, to this day, my mom is just infatuated with Lifetime movies. They're amazing. So mom, if you're out there listening, you know, I know all about every Lifetime movie that's ever come out. Lifetime movie (laughs) network. So this obviously became a made-for-TV movie because of all like the salacious and scandalous details. So we are going to go over some of that, but the first episode kind of doesn't cover that too much. So the first episode starts off with the 911 call, which is made by a neighbor, a neighbor of Pam's, because Pamela Smart is the wife of Greg Smart. And the two of them are going to meet in the mid-80s, and they get married. She's 22, he's 24. And they seem to be having a pretty solid, good life. Yeah, they do. I mean, they both have, uh, you know, they're aspiring, you know, with their careers. And uh, they both have a solid footing, I think, you know. You know, just like any, you know, young couple. Yeah, Greg Smart is going to be selling insurance with his father up in Derry, New Hampshire. And Pamela Smart works as a media center technician. It's kind of hard to understand exactly what her job is of course media center jobs in 1990 are going to be very different than media center jobs today but it does seem like she does work with the students a lot i mean would you say it's kind of like uh like today's standards of like the tech department like with computers maybe yeah i think that she would be a part of the technology department but with more involvement in students because she did head something called the Self-Esteem Project. Right. She was involved. She was very involved with the school community and, like, uh, you know, just helping the students, I guess. Right. Like, she did, like, the AV club and things like that. I don't know if any of you guys had to do this in high school, but we had a graduation requirement where we had to put together stuff from every year, and the librarian and the media guy were the ones who helped us put it all together. So I'm assuming that that's what they did. Yeah, and you know, even for like when I was in school, it was mostly, I I believe it was like maybe 20 or 30 kids that were kind of involved with for yearbooks and stuff like that with media and photos. Maybe it's kind of like the same thing with, I know my school was just about 20 or 30 kids that participated, but they would get participation from all the students with like, you know, any pictures or audio or video that they've accumulated throughout the four years. Right, and she did have to counsel the students it seemed like she was kind of like a mentor and a sponsor through this self-esteem program and it did seem like she worked with a little bit of the younger students 
because all of the involvement she seems to have seems to be with the freshmen or the sophomores from right. uh, Winnicourt High School. So the neighbors are going to say that Pam and Greg kind of party all the time. They're big partiers. And that's what their friends say, like, from the time they met till now. Pam is going to go to high school, uh, to college in Florida, and Greg moves down with her. Yes, and I'm, I want to add Florida State. Yeah, she goes so to... So she was uh, a seminal. Yeah, but she actually lived, she grew up in Miami, and then her family moved to New Hampshire. So that's why she naturally wanted to go there for college. Greg follows her, but when she graduates, they do come back to New Hampshire. Which is a big commitment. Yeah. Especially from two young people. It seems like the two were very committed from the time that they met each other. Oh, yeah. And that's what the friends in the interview seemed to say, that they knew each other, and it was immediately just Greg and Pam. So it did seem like the two were in love. That was the impression that I received. So did I. But when the police are going to respond to the 911 call from the neighbor, they're going to see Pam distraught and Greg shot in the hallway of his house. And it seems like it's definitely a burglary. The whole house is turned upside down. There are There's a stereo system that's turned over. There's clothes everywhere. And this is where we learn what happens when Pam discovers the body. So Pam is going to return home. And she sees that the house is kind of upturned. And she sees Greg's body. And then she's going to run out immediately. Then she's going to go to neighbor's house because they live in a condo complex. And she's going to ask someone else to call 911. Right. And um, uh, right away, they were very quick to say her judgment call of not calling the police herself and kind of just leaving. And my my feeling was from the moment I heard it was, you know, if you're coming home late, you open the door. You see that there's actually no lights on in the house where your husband's supposed to be home. And uh, you open the door and, and you see his body laying there. My first instinct would be to walk out too. Because you don't know if that person who's in there uh, that's killed your husband has you know, is still there. So uh, I don't really take you – know, that, that part of it was just like, okay, you're kind of jumping the gun. I feel like most people would have done that. I think so too. I definitely would have done that. If I – Came home, my house is upturned, and someone's laying in the walkway of the door. I'm definitely scared to go in the house, and I would try and call police from outside. Not to mention, not to mention, it's nineteen, it's 1990, 90. so there was no cell phones right, for her ha- to make a call. You have to go to the neighbor's house. So you house. go to the neighbor's house, so... It's safer anyway. I mean, you're going, you're like, damned if you do, damned if you don't when it comes to... The way you approach crime scenes and the yeah. way you behave. I just thought that one specific detail was just Yeah, that's like, kind of stupid. It's silly to, yeah. to question that. But the one thing that I thought was weird was that as they were doing the investigation, police are going to go many different ways because they start questioning neighbors and the neighbors say that the smarts used to party a lot. So they thought, okay, maybe this is a drug deal gone bad. So they're going to search the house and search Greg's property. And in his truck, they find pot. So they're initially going to think, okay, maybe this is a drug deal. So they're going in a lot of different directions because you don't know what happened to him. And at first, they don't even know that he's shot in the head because there is no exit wound. They think that he was just hit with something because there was a very large candlestick on the ground. So they assumed that he was hit with the candlestick. They thought it was just he was struck by a blunt object. They don't know immediately that it's a gunshot wound. 
So they're really in their investigation. And they aren't initially suspicious of Pam, so they don't question her. But Pam is going to enlist the help of her friends. And her friends are going to go to the dairy police and tell them that Pam's upset because she's not being questioned. And I think that's really bizarre. Like, why do you want to be questioned by police so badly? It's kind of like, let them do their investigation. Right. I mean, your time will come. I feel like that that throws up a red flag for an investigator. Like, even if I was the investigator, that would have thrown up a red flag to me. Like, why are you so anxious for us to talk to you? Like, if anything, there's nothing really, you know, I mean, I'm sure, like, we'll get to it. But it wouldn't be the first thing right. any investigator would do. Especially because she wasn't home. I mean, they got to take a look at the crime scene and everything first. Correct. And also, just to clarify, okay, I love you. What? I just want to give them a better picture. It wasn't a candlestick. It was a candelabra. No, it was... It well, it was the thing that you hold it. It was a candle it. holder. Yeah, but it had no candle in it. Like, it wasn't... Is that what okay. you call? What do you call it? Is you it don't a, call it a candelabra. It's not I a think, wedding centerpiece. It looked like one to me. No, it's just a big like holder for a candle. Oh, all right. sorry, I said candlestick, but yeah. thank you, thank you for. I love you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, so another thing that's going to come up is it. It looks like a robbery, hundred percent. But Greg still has his wallet on him, and he saw his wedding ring on him. The only thing that they can see that's missing from the house are a few pieces of jewelry. Her jewelry. Her jewelry. Yeah. But they still had really expensive, like, technology at the time. VCR, uh, CD player. All of these things were really expensive, but they were still in the house. So, it did appear to be a burglary, but the lack of missing things in the home was, was very questionable. Right. And also, like, if you were to steal the jewelry, you, what, why wouldn't you take the ring on his finger? You know, so. Right. So after Pam is going to request to be interviewed by police, they're going to bring her in. And of course, right away, this is where she's going to begin her ice princessness, I guess you can say. She is going to be stoic and kind of stone cold the whole time. And she doesn't cry and she's not upset. She's not hysterical. The police are concerned by the fact that she's not even asking them questions. The investigator specifically said in the show, usually at this time, we get more questions than answers because the loved ones are so concerned and they want to find who did this to them. Right. But Pam seems very gung-ho about getting her alibi covered. And what happened was she had said there's a board of ed meeting that night. She was going to stay at work. And wait for the Board of Ed meeting. And now usually Board of Ed meetings are held at 7 p.m. And she said that her item that she wanted to make sure that was passed was at the end of the Board of Ed meeting. So she didn't return home until 10 p.m. So now she has given herself an alibi for a very long time. But no one can truly account for her time really from 3 p.m. until the Board of Ed meeting at 7 Right. So, I don't know if that's really the best alibi, but she really definitely wants to get that out. Yeah. She also was going to mention something a little small, and we're also going to hear about it from Pam and Greg's friends, is that Greg has a little bit of a tendency to go gambling a lot. Like, his place is AC to go Atlantic City. Uh, yeah, it's nobody's place now, I'll tell you that. <laughs> nobody's place now. Atlantic City in, in the 90s was really, like, big. Like, a lot of people went. Yeah. 
if you go if you go to AC today, it's half abandoned. It's a really bad part of town. Like you really don't want to go to AC. The beaches aren't nice. We're actually having a problem this summer with we don't know where they're coming from, but there's a lot of hypodermic needles washing up on our beautiful Jersey shores. So we're we're staying clear of the beach this summer. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people that listen to us might not live in the area and um, maybe to you guys, it seems wonderful. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's not terrible here, but it's not what it's all cracked up to be. And AC is just one of those places where yes. it is not what you think. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> but the investigators are actually going to go all the way to AC and kind of look into the gambling debt that Greg may have. And once they get down there, they realize that Greg doesn't have any gambling debt. And it really was, it's a casual gambling that he likes to do with friends, but he hasn't accumulated any crazy debt or anything. Right. I I feel like they were going on the hunch that he could have owed somebody money and it was more of like a a mob related type thing. And it was a very early ruled ruled away. Yeah, they went right to the mob, AC, the mob. (laughs) But no, it was was gone right away. They realized that it had nothing to do with it. Right, but this is the first time in the case that you're going to see the media get involved and kind of skew everything. So media involvement right away, big deal. Because a death in dairy really isn't something that happens. The investigators are going to say it's the first time there's been a death in like the past two years that they've had to investigate. So it does become a big media sensation. So because all this craziness is going on in the media, Pam Smart does her second, well, she does so many stupid things. But the second stupid thing she does involving the investigation is she is going to reach out to reporters. Now, in the show, you get two sides of the story. The reporter, Bill Spencer, is going to say that Pam called him because she liked the fact that when he was covering the case, he didn't bring up any gambling or any possible drug connection. And that's why she wanted him to interview her. And she wanted to set the story straight. Right. But when she tells the story through her interview, she says that's not the case. She said Bill Spencer had been calling her mother's house for days saying that Greg was involved with the mob, he was involved with drugs and gambling, and if Pam wants to clear her husband's name, she has to go on the news and clear it. Right. Now, with that being said, hearing both sides, I just have, I have the feeling that the reporter was the one that pursued Pam and probably in you know because every reporter is that way right here's a small little radio station uh, uh, TV TV station. outlet that's trying to get big finally there's something big in dairy um, I feel like his bosses were you know kind of putting the pressure on him to get a big story for their station. And I think that's where this came from. So that's the one thing where I think Pam Smart's probably telling the truth about because I can't see it being the other way around. Yeah, that could At be least a, not the first time. Yeah, that could be a strong possibility. I think that it's probably a mixture of both things. I think that Pam is going to act really weird once Bill Spencer gets to her house. I think you could tell right away from the interviews that are taking place. Uh, Bill Spencer is kind of like a schmoozer, like a guy who thinks he's getting one over on everybody. And he's kind of like one of those reporters that would do anything for a case. That's that's what he looked like to me. I agree. And But Pam Smart is also going to 
act very interestingly during this interview. First off, she's going to say that she wanted to be a reporter. Like, that's what she wanted to do. Like, kind of investigation, investigative journalism, uh, personal interest stories. That's what she's into. And Bill Spencer's going to say that when he arrives at her house, she takes over and starts acting like a segment producer. So she at first looks perfect. She doesn't even seem like she's upset. And then she's going to go over to her freezer and say, it's almost our one year wedding anniversary. Wouldn't it be a great shot if I pulled out the cake from the freezer? I think. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that was a little much. Yeah, a little bit much. A little bit much. I don't understand where they were going with that. But we also don't know exactly what was said and what led up to that. You know, could it have been that the reporter kind of led her into something like that? And that's just not being told. I just think that I would be so distraught days after my husband's death that I wouldn't even call a reporter to do an interview. I agree. And and even if I did and I wanted to like clear your name of horrible things people were saying about you, I would be upset. I wouldn't have full makeup on and be talking about pulling out the wedding cake. And once again, which we kind of stressed at the beginning of this, you know, he's the victim here. Let's not forget, like, I feel like, why do we have to clear a name of a murdered man? Well, you know what I'm saying? The media is going to. That's just what we're accustomed to. Correct. As a society. But the, but the fact remains he's dead. Right. And we're trying to find out who murdered him. So I feel like this is just in my opinion, of course, I don't think someone should be protect, like protecting his past or whatever. Like this is a murdered man. I know. So I just think that from the beginning, this is just stupid. But usually (laughs) this is what happens when it comes to the media covering cases like this is that they kind of go into the details of people's past and skew things and there is no respect for the victim which is really sad it's it is it is and i feel like that's the biggest thing on our podcast is we try to preserve the rights of the victims we do we do and i i take i i feel like we take pride in that because it's not just it's very important yes it's not just you know the murder and the you know all the bad shit that comes with it it's also like trying right. to paint another picture too so yeah it's important to do now during this interview with bill spencer she is going to make like mistake number three and she is going to talk about how she's being perceived in the media how she's upset because she no longer has a future with greg uh she doesn't talk about the death of her husband she doesn't look upset she doesn't talk about her desire to catch Greg's killer, and she's very unemotional. So this is going to come off really weird. It comes off as being a little selfish, because even though she said, she mentions us, like she keeps saying us, but she she's also saying that, like, I am being robbed of a future, of a future yes. and I, you know, everything, mm-hmm. it, so it's like she does include us, but... At the, we we kind of know what she's really trying to say. You know, she's being selfish by saying, I have been robbed of everything, you know. So I thought that was a little bizarre. Right. And really, police weren't suspicious of Pamela Smart until this interview started coming out. They also told her, don't talk to the media. Yeah, she was advised not to talk to the media. Because they didn't want her to release certain details of the case. Obviously, that's important to an investigation because if they catch someone who... They believe as a suspect, they don't want all the information being told to the media because 
sometimes you can get false confessions or people don't know what they're talking about or they could frame somebody. So Pam shouldn't be telling the media all of this stuff. But everything's going to change on May 14th when a call is going to come in to the Derry police station. And a call is going to say that the murder was planned. The woman who calls says she works at an Italian restaurant. And her 15-year-old co-worker is talking about how the wife was the one who planned the murder. And she had been talking about it. When police ask who the 15-year-old co-worker is, they give the name Cecilia Pierce. And that's when Cecilia Pierce is going to enter the store. They go right to her and they ask her, what's her involvement? What's going on? And I think Cecilia Pierce is a really interesting character because in this series, their kind of big thing was like, this is the first time that Cecilia Pierce has broken her silence in many years to talk about the case. And one of Pam Smart's friends who was being interviewed was such an asshole when she was talking about Celia Pierce. Oh, yeah. It was horrific. I wanted to teenage me, wanted to like punch her through the. I don't know. TV screen. I feel like adult me would want to. <laughs> I know. I know. Do that. It's so Celia Pierce was a student at Winnicott High School where Pam was the media specialist. And Pam was supposed to be Celia's mentor through that self esteem program. And Pamela, Pamela Smart's friend, Tracy Paris, her name was, she was saying that Celia was lucky because she was overweight and had a low self-esteem and she was lucky that someone like Pam, who was beautiful and intelligent and a successful woman, took an interest and kind of took her under her wing, which I thought was like, a horrible thing to say. Oh, yeah. Wait, you know, Tracy, way to make somebody feel great about themselves. <laughs> what like, is a teenage that, girl? Yeah, like, that's, like, you, you don't get any worse than that. So, You're putting down a child. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Well, I think that the anger comes from the fact that it is Pam's friend. And we'll get into why she would be upset about that later on. But Celia Pierce is going to become really close friends with Pamela Smart, which... Which I think is very bizarre, but we'll get into that kind of relationship later. So when Celia Pierce is brought in and questioned by police, at first, she's going to deny knowing anything about what happened. But then she reveals a detail that she had stayed at Pamela Smart's condo for an entire week. First of all, I know it's the 1990s, and I know that things are different back then than they are now, but it is so inappropriate for a student to stay at your house for a week that you will lose your teaching license for even allowing a student to step in your car. Yeah, it's a lot different. It's so inappropriate. It's a lot different from what what it used to be till now. But I also say, like, you know, I understand that she was involved in a lot of, like, activities within the school. But, like... Not once through 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 this entire three part series. I just want to bring this up. Nothing was ever mentioned that I can recall that talked about like the school administration or anything about like that. And that's no, bizarre. In fact, she still was working in the position even while she was under suspicion, and everyone had been arrested that got arrested. Yeah. So I thought that was very strange. Highly inappropriate for a student to stay at your house for an entire week. I couldn't imagine it. 
because I am in the teaching profession and I have gotten really close with some of my students in, you know, that they stay after school and I talk to them and like sometimes they open up about their lives and it, you kind of take on the role of a counselor sometimes, but you have to be cognizant that you have to be always, always professional with them. So if a student does stay in my room after school, I make sure that the door is always open, like the blinds are always, like, this woman's bringing people to her house. Yeah, it's a little... It's insane. It's, not a little, it's crossing the line completely. 100%. And, I mean, there's just nothing else to say other than she was completely in the wrong. She shouldn't have had any kid Mm -hmm. at her house. And another thing that was really interesting about this happening, not only was the fact that doing this is so wrong, but the police had asked Pam to make a list of everyone who had even stepped foot in her condo for the past three months because they're going to run fingerprinting to see who was in and out of the house. And if there's fingerprints other than on the list, this could be a potential suspect. Pam gives a detailed list, so detailed that she even includes the guy who delivered their Poland Spring water. But she didn't put Celia Pierce's name on that list. Which is another red flag. Right. So there's a reason why you didn't put her name on the list. Absolutely. I mean, mean, at that point, you're covering things up now. And that's when they start getting suspicious of her. Right. And you know it's going to be figured out, so why exclude it? So after the police find this out, they're going to be even more suspicious of Pam Smart. And it seems like they have a lot of reasons to be. So after this, Pam is going to buy a new condo, which I completely understand. You're upset about what happened with your husband. Of course, you don't want to live in that house. I do think that it's really quick to buy a new condo. I think if it were me, my parents were close, I would maybe go home for a little bit. Yeah, of course. Um, especially because it it's so bizarre, and it's never brought up in the series, but God forbid, hopefully this never happens, if someone murdered you, I would be scared for my life. Yeah, like they would come back or something. Right, or like it was a targeted thing, especially after you find out that someone, your husband was shot execution style in your hallway. It seems like there's a vendetta. Oh, it's a big deal. And in no way is she nervous that these people might come back or something happened or... And I think that that's very strange. I think that's a big yeah. flag. I, I would want to stay with my parents. Like, you always feel like your mom and dad can protect you. Right. And it's it's a kind of a comfort thing, too. Also, let's not forget that, you know, they didn't have children. So it's not like, oh, she needed to have a new home or she wanted a new home to raise her child in because she didn't right. want to be reminded of her dead husband. But they didn't have kids. So what Pam Smart's going to do with this new condo is she's going to invite... Bill Spencer to come over again for a second interview. And in this interview, she's just going to talk about how she kind of wants to move on in her life. Nothing about how she wants her husband's murderer caught whatsoever. And then a few weeks later, there's going to be a another break in the case. Now, these detectives get super lucky because they keep getting these anonymous like tips and these breaks. So so that's really good for them. And on June 10th, 1990, a man is going to enter the Seabrook Police Department. Now, this is where the high school that Pamela Smart teaches at, this is where the town is. So she lives in Derry. That's where the murder took place. But her high school is in Seabrook, New Hampshire. And at the Seabrook Police Station, a man named Vance Latamy is going to say that a friend of his son 
came up to him and said, your gun might have been used to murder somebody. So at first he didn't believe the boy, but then he went to check his gun and he realized that the gun was clean. Now he had just used his 38 gun to uh, go shooting at a shooting range and he hadn't cleaned it. So it was curious to him that his gun was cleaned. So just to be safe, the man is going to bring his gun into the police station. Yeah. And I think that was a pretty bold move, right? Well, I feel like when you have nothing to hide... I mean, obviously, this guy didn't kill anybody, but he thought that his weapon did. So, you know what? If anything, that is a very, very responsible gun owner. Because, you know, all these guns have IDs and numbers and stuff, and it's it's a good thing. It's a responsible gun owner. No, I agree 100%. And the police are really most interested in bringing in the boy who said that the gun was used to murder somebody. Are you looking to create a website? Starting a webpage of your own can really bring your business or your interests to a higher level. I have been using Wix web page editors to create professional websites for years, whether it was for my classroom or for the podcast. With Wix, you can watch your idea and businesses grow in ways that you never thought possible with their business solutions. For example, you could display high-quality images and videos and either connect an existing blog or start a new one. Another great feature is Wix Bookings. Wix Bookings is an easy scheduling system that lets customers book and schedule appointments on your site. The business solution aspect of Wix's web design program is endless. Not only can you easily do what we mentioned above, but you can connect your site with e-commerce, music, hotels, events, and restaurants. If you're looking to increase your productivity and create a website for your job, brand, or personal life, Wix.com is the way to go. Why would you not want to use the most technologically advanced website building platform available? Our listeners even get a great deal. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash podcast to get 10% off. Again, that's Wix.com slash podcast to get 10% off today. All right, let's get back to the show. And this is teenager Ralph Welch. So Ralph Welch is going to live with Latimy. So Latimy has a son named JR. And Ralph Welch is JR's best friend. And Welch had been going through some hard times with his own family. So he actually moved in with the Latimy family. And JR Latimy and Ralph Welch are best friends with Billy Flynn and Pete Randall. And when Welch is questioned by police, he's going to say that his three friends were involved in the murder of Greg Smart and that they had used Latimy's father's gun to murder him. At first, he's going to say the boys wouldn't tell him and then he overheard it. So then he finally confronted them and said, I can't believe you guys did this. So he's going to confess this all to police and almost immediately, the boys are all going to be arrested. And when they kind of push Welch on why did this happen? Why would Greg Smart need to be murdered? And they're going to say that he's going to say she planned it, the wife. And it had something to do with insurance money. Right. Because that's that's a big motive. I mean, right. we see it all the time. And, and this is when police are going to kind of look into the Smart's financial history. And they're going to realize that Greg Smart, a 25... A 24-year-old man has a $140,000 life insurance policy in 1990. 
which is a tremendous amount of money, especially for a man that age. It's rare. It's a rare thing. However, you have to take into account that Greg Smart was an insurance agent. Right. He sold so, people insurance. It's it's weird, but it's not too weird. You right. know what I mean? It's typical when you're in that field. Exactly. So they so police are all going to realize that the four teenagers all go to school where Pamela Smart teaches. So things aren't coincidences in murder investigations. That's always what we hear investigators say. And with the addition of the $140,000 in life insurance and the story that they're getting from Welch, they're going to bring in the boys. So they all get arrested and search warrants are obtained for all of the boys' property and their cars. So when news of this breaks, the, the names of the boys who are arrested obviously can't be released. So on TV and in the newspapers, it's only going to, it's only going to say that three minors have been arrested in the murder of Greg Smart. But police will not tell Pam what's going on because she decides to go to the media whenever she wants to. So Pam is going to start calling her students. Another thing that I think is so bizarre and inappropriate, I know sometimes we can chalk it up to the time, but how do you even have your students' phone numbers? And why would you want to get your students involved? Right. And it goes back to what I said. Like, how does an administration allow this this to to happen? happen? So she is going to call around and see what's going on. And eventually she gets a hold of Billy Flynn's mother. And that's how she founds out that the boys have all been arrested. And she's a little shocked about this. And of course, none other but Bill Spencer figures this out. And he goes right over to Pam Smart's house. And I believe him when he says this. He thought this was a big break in the case that Pam would be excited about. So he wanted to get her reaction to this. And he said it was very bizarre. Like For the first time, she didn't want to be on camera. She barely opened her door and says, I don't have a comment on this. I'm devastated. I'm devastated. So I thought it was a little strange that that was her reaction and that she wouldn't be excited that there's person of interest in the case. I get being devastated that your students might have killed your husband. But don't you want the murder of your husband solved? Well, yeah. And, and and another thing, like, I could see if you were, like, conflicted. Like, okay, I don't know whether to be sad or happy or both because here are the people that murdered my husband. But it's, it's a very sad time as well because it happens to be the students in my school. So, like, I could I – could, if, if she would have given the interview and said – I'm very conflicted. I don't know. You know, it's a happy day, but also a sad day. You know, here are the people that murdered my husband, but I know these children and I cared for them. You know what I'm saying? Kind of thing. Yeah, it was. It but was... she didn't do that. She refused and said she was devastated and then pretty much closed the door. Exactly. It's just not the Pam Smart that had been giving a lot of interviews to media, which was strange. Because. Seemed like she had something to hide. Right. Now. She felt like the <laughs> the world was kind of closing in on her. Right. So, after the boys are arrested, they realize that they're really close friends with Celia Pierce, which is interesting because she had been talking about a murder plot to kill Greg Smart at her restaurant. And they knew Celia Pierce knew more than what she was saying, so they're going to bring her in for questioning again. And they're going to put a lot of pressure on Celia Pierce, and her mother's going to be in there, and... They're going to say, we can also charge you with the murder if you are hindering this investigation. 
So you have to start talking. And she gets really scared with this. And eventually she's going to give out the story. And the story that she gives is that Pam is very close with her, but also extremely close with Billy Flynn. In fact, Pam had been having an affair with Billy Flynn. So Billy Flynn, the 15-year-old, has been having sex with his 22-year-old teacher. And Cecilia is going to reveal that she was always around, like that she was kind of the the mask of it all. So people wouldn't think there's something inappropriate going on if Pam is always hanging out with Billy, but Celia is always there. Right, so so it doesn't look weird. Yeah, it's like human camouflage. <laughs> right. It's like, here's my witness. Like, I'm not just hanging out with a dude, like exactly. a kid. Exactly. And Cecilia is going to tell police the beginning of the affair started with the fact that Pam wanted to enter this contest. If you could film an orange juice commercial and you would win the contest, you would get a trip to Disneyland. So she started this project with the kids. So it was Billy Flynn, J.R. Latamy, and Pete Randall. And, of course, Celia Pierce is going to help as well. And they're going to start filming this commercial with Pam and her friend. And they were dressed in bathing suits at times. And it was it was very strange. And Celia said that this was a good excuse to hang out with the teenagers outside of school property. So that, from the beginning, Pam Smart was very inappropriate. And that Pam had asked Celia to write, uh, to send notes to Billy. So so Celia was really the go-between between Billy and Pam. And she pretty much knew everything that was going on. Everything. Um, as we'll see later on, she knows all, uh, pretty much everything that took place. Right. And Celia's going to say that over time, Pam is going to begin manipulating Billy and kind of casually, never saying out loud, kill my husband. But sending out there, I'm so lonely, he doesn't treat me right, he gambles, um, I wish someone could just get rid of him so I'd have insurance money. And Celia said that Pam was very cunning and manipulative of the boys in trying to convince them that this needs to be done while not coming out and saying it. Kind of allowing them to think this is their own idea. Right. But Celia's very specific in saying that Pam is up front and center in the planning of it all. So police need to hear this from Pam. And they're going to make the decision to put a wire on Celia. Because at first they try to have Celia call Pam. But she's very closed mouth about everything. Because we'll hear later that she's scared that the police have tapped her phone. So, they're going to put a wire on a 16-year-old girl and send her back into the center, the media center at the school. Which, I know they said they didn't do lightly, but putting a wire on a 16-year-old girl to go talk to someone who potentially planned a murder, that's a little crazy. They were desperate. Yeah, I mean, they also needed, uh, needed her cooperation because, you know what, 16 or not, she's knee deep in that shit. And and yeah. she knows everything. Yeah, 100. She, she's really deep in everything that's happening. And she could be tried as a conspirator. So I think that was the final factor in Celia saying, yes, I'll wear a wire. So when she goes into the office to talk to Pam, she's going to realize 
that she needs to get Pam to talk about the planning of the murder. And the police department is going to tell her that that they're listening in real time and that they can help her at any point if it gets heated or anything. But because the Derry police don't have the newest technology, the live listen actually stops working. And the only thing that's able to record their conversation was a mini tape recorder that Celia had on her body at the time. And this is going to be very controversial because the audio from that day is horrific. It's hard to hear. Um, there's like kind of like blips in time where like you can't hear anything. Some of it's good. Some of it's bad. But this is going to be very controversial when it comes to the trial in whether or not the audio is accurate. Right. Because, I mean, that is probably the biggest piece of damning evidence was the audio recording. And Correct. also, it was already touched up and, and, and enhanced, and it still sounded like shit. So right. a lot of people are going to say that the whole entire trial hinged off of a really shitty audio that they had. Right. And in the audio, Pam is going to never come out and say that she planned anything, but tell Celia that she's better off lying and she better not testify because if she testifies, then she's going to send all three boys and herself into the slammer for the rest of their lives and that she could get in a lot of trouble. So, Pam is definitely implicating herself 100% in the planning in the audio that we can hear. So I think the audio's good only because what we hear is so is so damning. Right, even though it's it's poor quality and it's only really picking up about half of everything being said, the things that it the the, the stuff that is being picked up from the audio is damning enough like it's gonna it it buries her there's nothing she could do to come out of that and i'm sure as we'll see prosecutors run wild with it right now after the recordings get back to police they're going to say that they have enough information and enough evidence to charge pamela smart with first degree murder so at this point she gets arrested and they Police claim they don't know how, but a reporter is actually there at the high school when Pam gets arrested, so pictures come out immediately. And now it becomes a media frenzy. And somebody is going to send pictures to the media that Pam had taken in her bathing suit. So these are pretty, like, risque pictures of herself, like, on her knees, on her bed, wearing a very tiny, like, white bathing suit. And I, I don't think necessarily you can get upset at someone for taking pictures like that of themselves. What was inappropriate was that when she got the film, to, she gave the film to Billy Flynn to develop. And that's what's inappropriate. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, pretty much she's sending the kid 1990 versions of, uh, you know, nude pics. You know, like, you know, like. Right. Like she's saying, look at these. She wanted, she intended for him to see the pictures. So at this point, we have like the entry of the prosecutor who is going to work to take down Pamela Smart. And that's Paul Maggiato, who is awesome. I loved him. He was amazing. (laughs) 
They, he's probably my favorite prosecutor of oh, all yeah. time. I mean, they refer to him as a bulldog. Yeah, he's a prosecutor who came in from Brooklyn and, you know, with his heavy Brooklyn accent and his kind of like, he was so intimidating in the courtroom. I would never want to be questioned by him or cross-examined by him. He ripped shit up. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Um, but the problem is, is that the boys don't want to talk. They don't want to say anything. And Maggiato is going to say, all right, if we try them as adults and they're facing the death sentence for what they did, then they'll start talking. So that's what he, that's what he did. He told them, I'm going to try you all as adults. And basically what happened was the state came through and said, 100%, they'll be tried as adults. And this is when they're going to start talking and they're going to start telling their story. They're going to say that Pam told them everything, told them what to do. She planned it down to the very last detail. Um, They're going to say that Pam went out of her way to explain not to use a knife because she has white furniture and a shag carpet that she doesn't want ruined to put her dog in the basement so the dog doesn't get traumatized. Um, At one point, when they were trying to find a ride to get to a car that they were going to use, they called Pam Smart and she picked them up. So that's what she did from three to seven. She went to pick up the boys to drive them to the car that they were going to use to kill her husband. Yeah, and all three of those boys, they stayed in the apartment, uh, in the condo, I'm sorry, for hours and waited. Like they were in there for a long time waiting for Greg Smart to come home. Right, they did. They ransacked the house and waited for him to come home. Which is, I mean, at any time they could have left. They could have left. I, I, She, either these were boys who were okay with committing murder, or she had completely manipulated them like crazy. Well, I, I think that what, what needs to be emphasized is that I feel like she got to Billy Flynn, and the other two were there to really help him. Because I know Jr. was told that he would get $500 for pretty much being the driver. Right. Jr. waited in the car the whole time. He wasn't in there. The right. only two in there were Pete Randall and Billy Flynn. Right. So, I mean, like, he, he did it for $500. So now, you know, looking at it now, I mean, was $500 worth, like, all the years you spent in prison, you know? Right. <laughs> I, think, I really think that the boys didn't think it was going to happen until it happened. Well... I don't. I don't know. It's it's a really hard thing to say. I think I I think that Billy knew what he was going to do when he got in there. Right. Um. I don't think Jr. knew. I mean, driving the car. I mean, yes, he's an accomplice. Yes, he's part of it. But I mean, to what extent did they all know that they were going to go there and actually kill him? See, I think that in working with teenagers all the time, I truly believe that they are incapable of understanding consequences like that. Like. When it's so funny when like a student does something or they're doing something that has such a, that will have such a huge effect on their life. Like when we talk to them about like drinking and driving and they just really so callously will be like, yeah, we drink and drive, but it's no big deal. Like we'll not, we'll never get caught or we'll never hurt someone. Like they truly believe that they won't like there'll never be repercussions for them. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Or like, definitely. we'll do, like, I don't know. I just, I think that their, their brains aren't fully developed to even understand that 
this night is going to affect them for the rest of their lives. Right. And it, and then, Billy Flynn's obsessed with his teacher. Yes. Who's having sex with him. And sh- and this just goes to show you that she's evil because she is pretty much grooming Billy Flynn to kill her husband. 100%. So it's it's crazy. It's terrifying what someone can do. To another person, mm-hmm. and especially a child, because he's fifteen, he's a child. Right. He doesn't understand everything that's happening. But another thing is when you talk about the American judicial system, there is no physical evidence to show that Pamela Smart is involved in this murder whatsoever. No physical evidence. These boys are admitting to murdering him. Right, yes. So this is what gets complicated between defense and prosecution. Of course. So the trial is going to begin for Pam Smart on March 4th, 1991. And it's really, every all the details are going to be unraveled. In something that is going to shock the nation, the judge is going to allow the media into the trial, which is the first time this ever happens in the country. And he's also going to say that there's going to be no change of venue. And this is something that's pretty crazy because the Pamela Smart case blew up. Everyone was talking about it. It was national news. So I guess the judge's decision came with the fact we can do this in New England. We could do this in the South. We could do this in California. But everybody's heard of this case. It didn't matter where you had this. It didn't matter where they moved. Yeah. It didn't make any sense. So one of the things that Pamela Smart's defense attorney is going to bring up is the fact that Billy Flynn... And J.R. Latimer are sharing a cell during trial and before trial. So that means for months, the two of them really, if they wanted to, could have concocted this story about Pam. Yeah. That is something that shouldn't... I mean, I can't believe that that was allowed to happen. That was definitely... A, they dropped the ball on that. That was an oversight. They, they did. Yeah. yeah. They weren't thinking about that. Because, yeah, they could just kind of... Co- um, corroborate each other's stories right and really i mean if if it if pam didn't do it they had all the time in the world to plan and talk about what they were going to say yeah but what i think goes against that what sissy doesn't say is that celia pierce said the whole story from the beginning without the two of them being together in the cell alone for months so celia pierce corroborated it and then that's what Welch is going to say when he's brought in. So it's it's the same stories. Their story isn't changing from when Celia Pierce was brought in because her coworker called, from when their friend is going to overhear about the murder to what they're saying now. It's been the same thing the whole time. Yeah. So they didn't plan it. I don't think they planned this in the cell. I think this is something that was talked about. I mean, this is something that happened. Right. It's not like they're trying to cover the rest. Right. They're admitting to the fact that they did it. What's being questioned is who told them to do it and if she and if Pam had any involvement in it. Right. That's it, really. So the first kind of crazy controversial witness that's going to take the stand is going to be Billy Flynn himself. And Flynn is going to be crying the entire time on stand. And um, to explain Billy Flynn, I think that he was definitely a very articulate 15-year-old boy. I think that he looks very mature and acted very mature for his age. And I think that he was definitely preyed on by Pamela Smart. I think that he was remorseful. The way 
he described the murder and the way he cried. I I think that it was genuine and I think that he, he is remorseful for what took place. And that being away from Pam made him understand the gravity of what he did. I agree with that. I, I think that he was probably one of the only people in this entire uh, case that was remorseful and actually was showed emotion. Like, he actually showed emotion. Yeah. I saw one person cry the whole time. It was Billy Flynn. Pretty much. So when Billy Flynn's going to talk about what happened that night, he's going to say that Pamela left the latched basement door open and they went in through the latched basement door that they kind of messed up the house, that they waited for him to come home. And then like we described, um, they got into a little bit of a scuffle, him, Pete Randall, and Greg Smart. And that's when they forced Smart onto his knees and Smart kept asking, why are you doing this? What's happening? And nobody was answering his questions. And then finally, Flynn is going to say, God, forgive me. And then he shoots him in the head. So that that's what happened to Greg Smart. And, and as he's saying it, it's so hard for him to get out the words. Like we said, he did seem truly remorseful. And as he's testifying, another addition to the story is that he's going to kind of talk about his affair that he had with Pamela. And he's going to give details like he went to her house, they watched a movie nine and a half weeks, and there was a, like a sex scene with Kim Basinger and Mickey Rourke where she was dancing for him and there was an ice cube involved and that they actually had reenacted the entire scene. I'm going to be honest with everybody that listens to our show, I've never seen that movie. so I, I know, I've never seen the movie either, so, so I'm not even going to pretend. I feel like I should. So there's an ice cube, there's a sex scene, and they've reenacted it. I feel like, but I feel like if I watch it, I'll be disgusted because I'll be thinking of a 15-year-old boy. Right, so like now yeah. kind of ruined it. I mean, not that we... Yeah, well, it's I don't weird, know. yeah. Um, and then we have to remember that Pam Smart, even if she didn't plan this murder... This is rape. This is statutory rape. To do this to a 15-year-old boy that you're supposed to be mentoring is the most disgusting thing. Yeah, it is. How could you do this I to I feel him? like because there's murder involved, that's another thing that goes completely unnoticed. You raped a boy. <laughs> like you had a relationship with a 15-year-old boy. It's, so in- it's insane. So after the testimony of Billy Flynn, there's um, going to be the testimony of Celia Pierce. And it's important to remember and i think it comes through when celia explains that while she was testifying she was so nervous that she was holding dolls in her hand that these are kids they're they are so young and what they're testifying and what they're talking about and what they were pulled into and involved in is that the lives of four people were ruined greg smart's life was taken and his family has been devastated since it took place it's there's so many victims in this case there is and really is and as celia testifies she's going to kind of talk about how pam would make her pass notes to billy be present to try and cover up the fact that they were having an affair and celia's going to say that she was kind of brainwashed in a way because Pam's affair with Billy didn't happen overnight. It happened gradually to the 
point where they felt like it was normal. So it was like she was grooming all of these kids, which is just so disgusting. And when the defense gets there, they're going to be really aggressive with Celia. And, you know, he's going to bring up the fact that her dress was paid for by the prosecution and her hair was done by the prosecution. And that even at one point, Celia tried to help them get a gun. But I don't think... So Celia has a co-worker who says she doesn't like the fact that her husband keeps a gun in the glove compartment of the car. So... Celia is going to say to Billy Flynn and Pam Smart one day while they're having a conversation about killing Greg, oh, my coworker keeps a gun in the glove compartment. We could use that gun. I think that's Celia trying to join in on the conversation because truly in the conversation of murdering Greg Smart, Celia is on the outs. And as a teenager, as a 15-year-old, you want to be in. And I think... No, go ahead. I was going to say, especially since... She was already kind of like not in a group. She didn't have a clique. Right. She was kind of on the outside even before all of this. So it's just a, it's like this this yearning to be wanted, to be in to right. like a group of friends. Especially if you think about it. Now, how bizarre is this group situation where you got a group of five people who are hanging out and have become closest of friends. And it's three boys who are most likely obsessed with Pam Smart. And now you have Celia Pierce on the outside. So I don't think she wanted to be involved in the planning of Greg Smart's murder. I think she just wanted to be included in their group. So, but that's what the defense is going to say. And it's kind of going to rattle her a little bit. And then at this point, everyone is going to be given earphones. And they're going to listen to the conversation that Celia Pierce and Pam Smart had together. So in the tape, like we said, she's going to tell Celia Pierce to lie because that's the best thing that she could do. Or else all four of them would be put in the slammer, she says. And she's also going to say that she believes that JR is going to flip because JR was in the car. And that most likely he'll realize, oh my God, I'm going to go to jail for all of this time. So he's going to flip on Pete and Billy. So one thing that I do agree with the defense about is that somebody transcribed this tape. And it is clear when you listen to the tape and you listen to the trans and you read the transcription of it, there are differences. And I think the jury read the transcription and took that for what it was instead of listening to the tape, which went against the instructions of the judge. The judge said the tape is the evidence, not the transcription. Right. And then, but you can make, I don't know if you can make an argument, but just... Think about it. If you're trying to transcribe something, the audio is so shitty that, that if that's all that you can truly get from that audio, then that's the best that you can do. Right. You can't do a, an amazing job with a transcript while, you know, if the audio is crap. No, I completely agree. So I understand that there are differences. And I think the only thing that we would be really saying about it is just that the... That what we hear is damning enough. And even if there is no, if, if the two don't meet, that's okay. Because it's, you know, it's this, it's essentially the same thing. You, that's all you can grab from it. Right. What is written and what is said that are the damning pieces of evidence are the same thing. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Sorry if that was confusing. That's no, okay. And after this, after the tape, the defense is going to say that the only 
the only way they can take control of the narrative is for Pam to defend herself. So Pamela Smart's going to take the witness stand. And it's, you know, you always say that the defense shouldn't do that. But Pam felt like she should defend herself. And for three days, she's going to testify, which is insanity. So Pam is going to try and play a little bit into uh, victim mode here. And she's going to say that Greg had an affair. One night he stayed out all night. And then he admitted to her that he had sex with another woman. And she said this is going to crush her. And then the fact that Billy Flynn was paying attention to her and making her feel so beautiful is the reason why she had this affair with him. And that the whole time she was thinking, what am I doing? And she didn't intend to stay with him. She just couldn't stop herself because she liked the attention she was getting. Then she's going to say that she actually broke up with Billy Flynn because she still loved Greg. So now the defense's narrative is going to take the story that Billy is going to kill Greg because of jealousy and because he still wants to stay with Pam. Then to make things even more complicated and bizarre, Pam is going to tell a story that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. She's going to say that because the police boxed her out and weren't wasn't and weren't telling her anything about the investigation that she is going to talk to Cecilia so much because she wants to get information so she decided that she would play a detective role and try and pretend like she was involved in the planning of the murder so she could get more information from Cecilia which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. None at all. No. It it didn't make any sense. The jury didn't buy it. Her friend Tracy Paris is trying to make the excuse that they, her doctors put her on Prozac at the time. But that was, and that was making her manic and that's why she decided to do this. But I don't know. I, I don't think that if I thought that I was a suspect and the police weren't telling me about the murder of my husband, I wouldn't go to someone and act like I planned the murder to try and get more information. At that point, you're just trying to figure out a way to make you look like you had no involvement, but you right. absolutely did. So it's right, just exactly. Stupid. And besides this bizarre story of why she was asking Celia for information and trying to, she was just trying to talk away what she said on the tape. And the fact that she was a victim because Greg had cheated on her. Um, She's going to be stone cold the whole time again. And the media is really going to come out of this, calling her the ice princess and saying that, where were the tears? Where was the grieving widow? She didn't come out once throughout the trial, especially when Billy Flynn was discussing the murder of her husband. Uh, Not while she was explaining finding her husband she she never got emotional she didn't get emotional but when billy flynn was testifying against her she really wanted to say something like she had to she be said held she back was pissed yeah um but held back by like her, but by her defense right so she aggravated under the table right we aggravated that the details were wrong but not actually being upset emotional and Correct. being like distraught you know exactly So after 11 days of the trial, the defense is going to rest and the jury is going to begin deliberating. 
The deliberations only take three days. And the judge is going to give an announcement saying he doesn't want any theatrics. He doesn't want any craziness in his courtroom. So they start reading off all of the charges and conspiracy to commit murder. Guilty. Uh, Being an accomplice to a murder. Guilty. Tampering with the witness. Guilty. First degree murder. Guilty. And there's just 12 charges and she's guilty of them all. And at this point, Maggiato's just like looking like a boss, like buttoning his suit up. He they, is so excited. They actually had to like calm him down in the back. Yeah. Like he went, <laughs> at the end, at the he end, was very yeah. excited. Yeah, <laughs> you just see like the courtroom like, video, yeah. and he's like, "Yeah, yeah." Like um, you just see him in the back. It's ridiculous. But you do. There is a reaction in the court um, after the third charge is read as guilty, which is being. Um, uh, tampering of a witness was the one that there was a reaction after, but I think it was finally realizing that she was being told she was guilty that Greg Smart's parents react and they kind of, it's kind of like a cry out of relief, I guess, that their son is getting justice. And that was a very emotional moment in the courtroom. Yeah. It also could be the, like, shut your daughter in law did this. It's, well, it, like, okay, when you are close to someone, you know, for a while. Because they were together for a little while. You know? Yeah. And you don't want to believe, as you know, as the mother and father-in-law... That you took in this person. That she would do this. So, the you know, once you hear guilty three or four times, you finally start to realize, well... Maybe she did do It has to this. be... It's the truth. No, I, I get that. So, she is going to be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. As a 22-year-old woman... And it's pretty, it's crazy. And this is one of the first interviews that she's given in a long time. And she is still fighting for it. I mean, I I do think that there are some justifications for a retrial in the fact that when Pamela Smart is talking about her appeal process that she's trying to go through, I mean, she has so far been denied um, through the local state and federal courts like she's she's not allowed any appeals they've said that the the court case was just everything was done appropriately and the only way she can get an appeal is if a new piece of evidence comes up but nothing was done wrong in her trial um i do think that the fact that the jury was not sequestered and that they could read the newspaper and they could watch the news during the trial really could have hurt pam smart I do believe her when she says that she was not innocent until proven guilty. She was going in there with them thinking, okay, she's guilty. But I also think she did it to herself because she was a predator. And she preyed on these children who she was supposed to be mentoring. So whereas, yes, you were considered guilty before the trial began, but you put yourself in this horrific situation to be considered guilty before. Yeah, I think that... I think that she's guilty. I think that she did do this. I the only thing that would make me feel like she does deserve a retrial or something or a lesson sentence, and this is the only reason. The only reason is because Billy Flynn and the other two, okay, they're out. They served their they time. They're out. Mm-hmm. Okay, Billy Flynn pulled the trigger and killed somebody, and he's out. Right. And. The fact that she, I know that she was the brains of the operation and everything, 
and I completely think she, that she's scum of the earth. But if anything, she served. I mean, listen, she served twenty seven years. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's a long time. I think that she should still be in there, but there should just be something a possibility of a parole. possibility of parole, maybe because she didn't pull the trigger. She personally did not kill Greg Smart, right? And the one that did's already out. I, and I, all the ones that were an accomplice to that are out, except right. her. Now, in the interview that she's going to give, like the final in the final episode. She is going to continue with um, trying to defend herself and saying that she's wrongfully put in prison. She still maintains her innocence today. Um, I understand she's holding steadfast to it. Do I think that maybe things would be a little bit easier for her if she admitted some involvement? I don't know, but she's not. And she says that it's not fair that they made a deal to testify against her. She also said that she believed Celia was lying because she wanted to be famous. I don't know how true that is because Cecilia has kept her mouth. She's kept quiet for 27 years. I don't think Celia wanted to be famous. I think she didn't want the limelight, especially because she was a self-conscious teenager. Um, And people like Pam Smart's friend who explained her the way she did. She was nervous that people would can like think that about her. Bottom line, she's guilty. Everyone knows it. There's no way that she had no involvement of this. And if she, even if she didn't say to Billy Flynn or all the other guys, do this for me, she pretty much planted the seed by oh, having yeah. a romantic mm-hmm. relationship with a, with a kid. It fucked. If anything, it could fuck him up in the head, and then he did it. So she's still guilty for... Right. But she can't go on that for an appeal process. No, she can't. So another thing she's trying to say is the fact that the prosecution, the attorney general's office, cannot explain who transcribed those tapes. Uh, It's kind of weird that they don't have a record of who transcribed the tapes because Pam Smart is trying to claim that there are pieces of the tape that are cut out and things are taken out of context. So really, it doesn't make sense that the attorney general can't produce a name as to who the person was. And then when Maggiato was asked about this by the interviewers, he's going to say, oh, some secretary at the attorney general's office. But I mean, I think that this is a pretty important case and that person should be known. And if it was called into question who transcribed this tape, nobody came forward. So I do think that's a little weird that... They can't find the person that transcribed these tapes. I'm going to leave you with this, right? Even if they knew who transcribed it, what does it matter? Like, I like, I, like, I mean, I, understand, I know, I know, I but know they're looking was... for technicalities to get right. the appeal. Exactly. And that's all it's for. Because at the end of the day, regardless of who transcribed it, it's still audio. Even though we said it was shitty audio, mm-hmm. the audio was still listened by everyone in that courtroom. No, I, I agree with you. I understand. So it really is going to leave off with the fact that Billy Flynn, Pete Randall, J.R. Latimy, they have all been released from prison. This situation is going to weigh on their shoulders for the rest of their lives, as it is Cecilia Pierce Especially and the Billy Smart Flynn. family. And Pam is most likely going to die in jail. And, you know, that realization obviously is hitting her and this is her, her grasping at straws here. 
But the series does end in saying that she petitioned the governor of New Hampshire to give her a reduction in sentence that would eventually make her eligible for parole. And she's still waiting to hear back. So once there is a conclusion to that and Pamela Smart does hear back from the governor of New Hampshire, we'll definitely give you guys an update. But I thought it was very interesting that they revisited the Smart case and I liked it. I thought that they did a great job talking about the way the children were treated before and throughout the trial and afterwards. I think that they did a good job of depicting the fact that Greg Smart was such a victim. Yes. And that he's the one that should be really remembered throughout this, not not just the salacious details that got taken over by the media. So uh, we would love to hear what you guys think about the case. And if you have any insights or something that you think we should hear, we should, because we can do an update. If we hear back from a lot of people, we can kind of just do like, kind of like a talk back thing. That would be fun. Yeah. Also just let us know what you think about like, um, this more of a conversational piece that we're doing here on Patreon, because, uh, if you like it, we could do more. Yeah. We would just wanted to kind of see how it goes and just try something different. You know, we're always trying to keep you, know, you guys happy, keep you guys on your toes and making you guys happy. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Bye, guys.